The very first in-season edition. We got new music. We got uh, a whole new energy here. We're, it's, it's, we're all very excited. We're very excited. It's the Minor League Baseball Podcast 2017 season opener. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, New York City. Sam, how fired up are you right now? I'm very fired up. I so mean, fired up. Uh, yeah. If you're hearing this on Thursday, just assume I didn't sleep Wednesday night. <laughs> it's probably true. It's like uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically Christmas Eve. Uh, if Christmas lasts 140 games and what five months, yeah. six months, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the the feeling I'm experiencing right now, Wednesday afternoon. By the time you guys hear this, the season might have already started, or it's very much on your doorstep. Um, so Santa has come. Uh, now we get to open the presents. Oh man, get excited! It is the uh, the latest edition of the show before the show podcast from milb.com. He is Sam Dykstra in New York City. I am Tyler Mon in Denver, Colorado. We are uh, set to have a, a mega show today. Um, but before we get into said mega show you can find the show before the show podcast wherever you have found us you can continue finding us there or itunes or the stitcher app or milb.com slash podcast you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription this is episode number 104 to kick off the 2017 season and uh, yeah like a fresh new sound we're uh you know season number three of the podcast man we're we're going we're clicking on all cylinders to get this thing started yeah we i guess this is 10-4 which just means go ahead right what is 10 ah look at you See, like, I think it means like, the, okay, affirmative. Yeah. Affirmative. Yeah. We're a go for the season. We're I think enough, that's, the, I think that's what that means. We obviously, that's podcast. what we timed out. Like episode one for it was just all these puns that were going to come down the line. Yeah. Eventually really <laughs> we knew, we knew triple digits of podcast later. We'd have a lot of bad jokes that we could make. <laughs> if you catalog the bad jokes on this podcast, whoo boy. Um, so, Hey, without any further ado, we are going to get into it with not one or two or three, but seven strikes to open up this week's edition of the show, and also not just one or two hosts, but four hosts, as uh, we are joined by our best pal Kelsey Hennigan in New York City, who is sitting next to Sam and has been quiet this entire time, pretending as if she wasn't there. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Tyler. She actually and just came running just in the room. In. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. It was a very dramatic entrance. I heard your overpronunciation of words. I was like, I'm here. She flung the fireworks. door open like Cosmo Kramer. Yeah. Lots of fire. That works. Uh, and in Los Angeles, California, the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Jackson joins us. Hi, Josh. Hi, everybody. I was uh, a, a little sad when I heard that Kelsey was the best bud, but. Now that I'm the man, the the myth, the legend, yeah, you, I can. You get I can your own. That. Everybody gets their own title. Um, okay. And uh, Josh, what's uh, what's the I, of all of us? I'm assuming that you have the best weather day today. So we're just going to live through you for a day because we've already had weather that affected opening day on minor league baseball. And we're recording this on Wednesday, the day before opening day. Uh, what's uh, what's it like in the LA area today? Well, uh, I'm in Venice, and it is 66 degrees okay. and clear, um, okay. sunny, right. sunny skies. That works. That works. Close. We have a Josh super Jackson. bloom going on right now. <laughs> a super bloom. That's right. Is that all like the, algae? Uh, yes. Ooh. Ooh. All, all the all the you know plants, the wildflowers and and jasmine and everything. So you know uh, those of us with some allergies 
might have some difficulty reading, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Well, hey, the That's minor league start referring to minor league opening day is the super bloom. The super bloom of baseball, baseball super <laughs> yeah. bloom. And where you come for all of your latest and greatest horticultural knowledge is the minor league baseball podcast. And uh, so with that, we are set to roll. So here's how we're going to do it. Sam has come up with seven categories, our seven strikes for today. I'm going to introduce them. We're going to hear from Josh, then we're going to hear from our two in New York, Sam and Kelsey, and then I will offer my opinion to round out each category and we have seven of them in total and we're going to start things off with the most interesting lineup in the minor leagues in 2017 the team that'll stack up one through nine as a group that you most want to watch take it away sam and kelsey you're up first all right i have to go no further than oklahoma city with uh bellinger verdugo and calhoun three of the dodgers top hitting prospects and they're to all top 100 prospects fresh off the afl they're going to rip up the pcl um, so for my pick, um, I did Lehigh Valley staying at the AAA level. Um, you know, that, that team is a good mix of not only guys who are getting promoted, they're going to be challenged and, you know, Reese Hoskins, Dylan Cousins, the, the Bash brothers of Reading, um, but just so many guys coming back. JP Crawford has something to prove. Uh, Roman Quinn has something to prove. Uh, Nick Williams definitely has something to prove that he, you know, can at least get deep in counts and not strike out as much and take his walks. And Jorge Alfaro is trying to show that he can be the Phillies catcher of the future. I mean, that lineup, um, you know, when I was in spring training, I think Joe Jordan said, if you're a scout, you're going to check out that team as much as any other team in baseball. Um, so uh, in terms of just an interesting lineup, not only just prospect laden, but in terms of interesting storylines, probably one to nine. Uh, I think that takes the cake for me. Josh, who you got? Well, I, I got to say, I considered both of those teams, and I think I like the Akron Rubber Ducks in the Eastern League a little bit more um, than, than each of them. The Indians affiliate, they've got Greg Allen at the top, who's got great speed and, and is a solid all-around player. They've got Francis Mejia, uh, Francisco Mejia, they've got Bobby Bradley, they've got Yu Chen Chang. Um, they got Mike Pappy getting a second look at the level, which I, I think will make a, a big difference for him. They've got Dorses Polino. Um, they've got another guy, you know, not a prospect guy necessarily, but Eric Haas coming back um, after not getting in a full season there last year as their catcher. Um, I think that's a, that's a very solid team. I'm going to stick in the same league and the same level with uh, with the AA Eastern League. The New Hampshire Fisher Cats have a couple of top 100 prospects and outfielder Anthony Alford and shortstop Richard Urania. The rest of that team isn't quite as flashy as maybe Oklahoma City or Lehigh Valley, for example, or even Akron to an extent. But those two guys, Alford's been one of the most fascinating prospects through his time in the minors. He's a former college football player, started focusing on baseball full-time a couple of years ago, and has a tool set that's as good, really, as almost any prospect in baseball. And for Richard Urania, another one of those really young, really really bright talents that we've seen come up through the Blue Jays system in uh, in recent years. And uh, it seems like a fun group there. They also have three top 100 uh, or top uh, 10 prospects in the Blue Jays organization on the pitching side. But uh, that is a topic for our next topic, which is uh, such a good segue, you guys. That's, that's how we roll. We're through one topic and look at us already. We're nailing it. Yeah, we're trying to be a little bit snappier in our strikes, but I guess that's what happens when you have seven. I so, think yeah. Rob Manfred's kind of on us to be exactly. like, pace of play. Pace a podcast. This pace a podcast. <laughs> All right, strike two. Most interesting rotation in the minor leagues. Who you got? All right, as I make the move from the Dodgers to the Rays, so does Jose De Leon. He's in his new system, and he's going to tear up Durham, and he's going to be joined by Jacob Feria, Jaime Schultz, Taylor Guerrero, 
Yarborough, a huge lineup, and then Chase Whitley's going to provide some of that veteran leadership. And then, obviously, Brent Honeywell is going to be there before long. So I think that Durham will have one of the most unstoppable rotations. Yeah, um, they were actually my second team here. Um, but the one that I picked, um, I guess, shouldn't come as any surprise to anybody who's been listening for a while and, and knew how uh, Tyler thinks I manipulated things in terms of the Braves having, having Voter the best. fraud! Yeah, voter, voter fraud. fraud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but actually, they surprised even me this week um, by naming Colby Allard and Mike Soroka, uh, both still teenagers, uh, to Mississippi, double-A Mississippi. Uh, you know, Patrick Weigel is also going to be at that team. He, he made the jump from Rome to Mississippi at the end of last year. Uh, Max Fried also going to be making that jump. Um, you know, Dave Tremblay, player development director, said they wanted to get a little bit more aggressive with Max Fried. He's now on the 40-man roster, got some time this spring, really looked good there. Um, is, with his velocities, another year removed from Tommy John surgery. He seemed like he was going to move quickly. Allard and Soroka, it seemed like they would have time to kind of, I want to say marinate um, a little bit more, but you know they're going to push them aggressively. Uh, so what I thought was going to be you know an exciting Class A advanced Florida rotation, two of those guys are now moving up to AA Mississippi, just completely skipping it. Uh, the Braves did that last year with Ozzie Albies on the position side. Uh, seemed to work out pretty well. Uh, they eventually pushed him to, to Gwinnett. We know that didn't work out quite so well, but um, they're doing it again with Allard and Soroka, and this is they're not doing this out of need um, because they think Florida's going to be too packed. They're doing it because they think these guys can handle it. Um, so that's going to just be fascinating to see, you know, how they all take we all, uh, to the AA level. You know, we talk so much about the jump from Class A advanced to AA being the biggest. You can only imagine what it's like uh, going class A to double A straight up. So, um, that, that team is, you know, it was probably going to be interesting anyways with Freed and Weigel definitely going there, but add in Allard and Soroka and, uh, I, I'm going to be following them almost every night. Josh, your pick. I have been listening and I knew, and I did know <laughs> that Sam was going to pick the, uh, the M Braves. Um, I have got to go with triple A Charlotte uh, really for, you know, the front three, uh, Lucas Giolito, Carson Fulmer, and Ronaldo Lopez all there. Um, those White Sox prospects, I, I think each of those guys comes in with maybe like a little bit of something to prove about, about their readiness and where they're at in their trajectory. Um, and I think, you know, the three of them in the IL, that's going to be a really interesting uh, front three. Yeah, we should have pointed out at the start of this that there's a good chance that we're going to overlap with some of these picks because that one was mine as well. And, um, you know, as Sam pointed out with vote manipulation, all those types of things with uh, with our farm system rankings on the pitcher side, I was obviously pretty high on that group. And also then Josh and I traveled to Phoenix together, and now we just t- – we're hive-minded. We think the exact same things about most things. So Charlotte's my way too. And I think Josh put it well, the fact that really to an extent all three of those guys have something that they need to show. Uh, if I'm the white side I'm really hoping it's a, an iron sharpens iron type of dynamic with those three because if Giolito and Lopez and Fulmer all of a sudden start trying to one-up each other and push each other to get better, that's going to be a really scary team in Charlotte, and you would hope if you're Chicago it's going to translate uh, up to the major league level as well. Uh, strike three this week, guys. Most interesting lineup, most interesting rotation. Number three is the most interesting overall team in the minor leagues. Roster construction or something else. Uh, Kelsey, who's up? Yeah, I, I got to pick Lehigh Valley. You mentioned them earlier. 
They have both hitting and pitching in J.P. Crawford, Alfaro, Nick Williams, Reese Hoskins, and um, Dylan Cousins, who tore up the Eastern League last year. And then in pitching, they got Pavetta, Pell, Ben Lively, Ricardo Pinto. The list goes on and on. I can't see when Lehigh Valley loses. I imagine they will at some point, but they seem unstoppable to me. Um, I'm going to stick in the IL, and I guess this is like a heel turn. Like, it, it, this is the closest we ever get to wrestling. I'm going to take Charlotte for most interesting ah. team. Yeah, um, just because, you know, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying about the rotation. I like that rotation for obvious reasons. Um, Reynaldo Lopez is going to be their opening day starter, which I think is a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just throwing him in there saying, listen, you did really well this spring. Almost won a, the fifth rotation spot in Chicago. Now you are going to be the, the opening day starter for us, for our AAA club. Um, you know, you guys mentioned Giolito and Fulmer, but Moncada just, he is going to be the star of that team and playing in Charlotte, which has, I think AAA's maybe most Homer friendly park. Um, that's not his game necessarily is to hit 35 home runs in a, in any given season, but to see him play in that environment is going to be fascinating. And then you throw in birdie, the reliever, uh, who's a first round talent. Uh, earlier this spring, I, I said I wouldn't surprise me if he jumped to the majors You know, after spring training. That didn't quite happen, but he was one of their last cuts. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about this White Sox rebuild based on how you know the Charlotte Knights perform, particularly in the first half. You know, If Mancata does really well, if Lopez does well, if Giolito, Fulmer, these are all guys who could get the call uh, very early once probably service time concerns go by the wayside. So, um, you know, what is going to happen to this team? Are they going to sink? Are they going to swim? Is Lucas Giolito going to find himself? Is Carson Fulmer going to find himself? Uh, is Moncada going to put his big league struggles behind him in his first trip to the AAA level? That's going to be interesting. I want to kind of quick, quickly throw in just one kind of sleeper um, that I think could be a really good team by the end of the year. It, it's not as good now, and it's not certainly in the same conversation as Charlotte or uh, Carolina. I gave it away, uh, Charlotte or Lehigh Valley, but it's the Carolina Mudcats. Their first year as a Brewers affiliate. Um, their lineup's going to be real, real interesting with Isan Diaz there, Trent Clark, Lucas Ersage. Um, Lucas Ersage, I think, could be a big breakout prospect this year. And then Corey Ray might be joining them once he gets out of his rehab at extended spring training. Uh, they have a lot of arms, Cody Medeiros, Freddie Peralta, uh, Marcos Diplin. I mean, uh, in the same way we're talking about the White Sox rebuild and how it might be formed uh, at the AAA level, Brewers rebuild. We, we're going to see a lot of questions answered at that Class A advanced level. Um, so if you're looking for a team, you know, kind of in that second tier of full season affiliates, that might be your team to watch. Josh, your most interesting team on opening day in 2017. Well, in, in the interest of of avoiding some some overlap, I'm going to uh, pick somebody. I don't think that's that's really on anybody else's radar here, and that's going to be a team I'm going to get to watch uh, in person a few times probably, and that's the Lake Elsinore Storm in the California League, the Class A advanced affiliate of, of uh, those Padres, and uh, that's they've got in you know their their pitching staff includes Anderson Espinosa, which that alone is uh, going to be really interesting, um, but also Cal, Cal Quantrill and and Eric Lauer, uh, I think first rounder from last year, um, and on the other side on, on their offense um, they've got Josh Naylor, which you know if he's going to be a a real a real major prospect for the Padres, then he's going to show that he has that uh, ability with a really strong California league where, you know, his power will obviously 
uh, play well. They've got Javier Guerra, a great uh, defender who who should have a much better offensive year this year than he did last. And Michael Geddes, who reached the, the level last year, is, is a really exciting um, outfielder, a two, one of a two Z outfielder type. I think that that's going to be an interesting team. All right, I'm going with a totally different approach to this, and I think something that will, um, especially given the podcast, I think will probably stun all of you. Uh, but well, I kind of have co honorees in this category uh one also in the california league the lancaster jethawks the the fact that the colorado rockies are going into the most offensively friendly ballpark in the minor leagues fascinates me brendan rogers is going to be there top 100 prospect brian mundell who set the all-time minor league single season doubles record last year is going to be there as part of that lineup so i think that's interesting but to me the most interesting team in minor league baseball coming into 2017 is the columbia fireflies uh that team has a pretty talented core group and they also have Tim Tebow. And what fascinates me about it is the developmental <laughs> steps. I'm serious. The developmental steps no, of right, what it's right. going to take for those guys to continue to be successful when they're in this cone of this circus that's going to follow him around for however long he's there. But Desmond Lindsay is there. Miranda Gonzalez is there. Luis Carpio, Ali Sanchez, Milton Ramos, all ranked guys. That's a really good, really talented roster. Jose Laguerre is the manager. He's been there a few seasons. Uh, ten former top ten round draft picks and three Mets Sterling Award winners, which is given annually to the best player at each level in the minor league system. It's a talented roster, but it's going to be a circus there in Columbia for a lot of the season. Uh, now, there's a chance it dies down. There's a chance that, you know, a couple weeks in, there's some semblance of normalcy. But if it didn't die down in 1994, with Michael Jordan, 1993-1994, I don't think it's going – and that was in the pre-Twitter, pre-social media, pre-internet, pre-everything age. I don't think it's going to get to just being a normal South Atlantic League season for that team. So, to me, that's the most interesting team in the minors coming into this year. Um, yeah, let, let, let yeah. me jump on that real fast just because I think that it's also an opportunity for those guys. Absolutely. Not just, like, how are they going to be tested, but, you know, if, if a lot of people flock to Columbia – I think a lot of people are going to learn how good Desmond Lindsay is. I mean, he's had some injury concerns. They, they've tried to get him healthy. Yeah. Um, but every report you hear about how he did in, in Brooklyn, they're, you know, enthralled by him. Um, what is he going to be able to do over a full season? So it's not just like, okay, we put you in this pressure cooker. Sorry. You know, we're trying to see what we have out of this other guy. Best of luck out there. But also it's an opportunity. I mean, with so many eyes that are going to be on that, that game every night, no matter where they are, um, what's going to happen with that? I mean, that that I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Tyler, because that that is that's going to be absolutely fascinating. Plus, I'm assuming they're already making the thirty for thirty, so we can we can all count on that. Uh, most uh, don't, you, don't you mean Space Jam Two? <laughs> Space Jam Two, the baseball version. Uh, that would be cool, actually, if they just did it on a flip well, side. No, never mind. Forget it. No, no it's the football. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess it'd be the football version. Tim Tebow goes and plays for the Columbia Fireflies. He gets and then pulled through the golf thing, and then he goes and plays baseball with or, uh, football with Bugs Bunny. That's definitely what happens. Oh, here. yeah. No, that makes – yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I see how you're defining it. Okay. All right, All right good. Um, I believe I can fly out, I think, is what the song will be. <laughs> That was pretty good. That was good. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. All these jokes are flying over my head. Okay, so those are our most interesting lineups, rotations, and teams. And now we're going to go a little bit more player-specific. Breakout prospect in 2017 throughout the minor leagues. Kelsey, take it away. So I decided to look at breakout. And not someone who did poorly last year and is going to all of a sudden be amazing. I decided to look at it as someone who didn't necessarily have a lot of big games that we 
last year, but then this year we're going to write about him every week. He's going to be a big name every week. And that's Blake Rutherford of the Yankees. I know it's hard to say that the Yankees' first-round pick from last year is going to break out, but I think that after hitting 351 across two rookie-level teams last year, he's going to be a force this year with Charleston. And I think we're going to be tweeting his name a lot this year with all of his big games. Yeah, the, the the one thing I'll kind of piggyback off what Kelsey was saying was one thing to remember about Rutherford was he was actually more highly ranked than Mickey Moniak going into his senior year. Had one off year, kind of dropped back a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and you know, part of I think maybe part of that was signing and that whole thing. But um, yeah, you know what he showed. If he can kind of keep that going, you know, he's going to climb very quickly. Uh, we just need to see it over a full season. So he has that type of rocket fuel that we talk about. Um, with breakout prospects, I'm gonna kind of kind of the same tact. I mean, like if you're thinking about breakout prospects in terms of deep sleepers, that, that's not necessarily the way I'm going. I'm gonna go with Ronald Acuna uh, in the Brave system. Um, you know, he got a lot of time this this spring with the the big league club. Um, only played 40 games with Class A Rome last year. Hit 311. Really showed something in the Australian Baseball League. I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this on the podcast before, but hit 375 with a 1.001 OPS in 20 games with Melbourne. Um, so he really impressed the Braves there. Um, he's he's going to Class A Advanced Florida. So a little bit of a pitcher's league. We'll see how he can do there. But if he is you know healthy, it was kind of a freak accident last year. He, he broke his thumb. He had to have surgery. That caused him to miss three months. If he can avoid that over a full season, he's number 98 overall. He just snuck out after some graduations this week, or snuck in, I should say, after some graduations this week. He's easily a top 50 prospect if everything breaks his way. Uh, really good outfielder, really good hitter with some speed. Um, I, I see him kind of charging forth once he gets even just a half season of health under him. Josh, your 2017 breakout prospect. I'm I am going the a little bit of the the sleeper route. I think that uh, Edwin Rios in the Dodger system. He's their number 23 prospect right now. I think that you're going to see him do some things in the Texas League that's going to really turn a few heads. Um, maybe not too dissimilar from Willie Calhoun last year. Um, the you know the way. I don't think really any of us were talking about Willie Calhoun this time last season, but by the middle of the summer, um, we all were. <laughs> we all knew who, who he was. I think Rios could do a similar kind of thing. It's not going to be as shocking because he did put up uh, a lot of power last year, but he's also perhaps a better all or I mean, maybe I should take away that perhaps. He's uh, probably a better all-around hitter, um, and so the way he'll he'll handle that adjustment uh, to double-A pitching should be exciting, and I think he's going to grab some attention. Well, we've already discussed him a little bit uh, in this segment, but mine's Mickey Moniak, and kind of like what Kelsey said, it's sort of tough, I guess, to talk about a first-round pick from a year ago and say he's going to break out. But, um, you know, to me, the definition of a breakout guy is somebody who shows – not just that they're talented at the lower levels, but that they can stick for a full season. They can be successful for a full season. They can carry that all the way through the rigors of 140 games. And for Mickey Moniak, I think the skill set is obviously so advanced for his age. And to be able to go to 
a full season league. He's going to member of going to be a member of the class A Lakewood roster to start the season uh, at just 18 years old. He's not going to be 19 until May 13th. So he's going to start at 18. It seems like we see those guys in the Sally league and in the Midwest league every year where we see a teenager just destroy a level. Uh, and I think this season, Mickey Moniak to me, has the feel of a guy who's going to be primed to make a pretty quick climb to the advanced A level, maybe to the upper minors. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be in the big leagues by the time he's 20 or 21, but the skill set is so good that I think he could really have a, a hell of a debut season and full season ball. Um, so from uh, one uh, individual-minded category at the minor league side, we're going to transition to the major league side American League and National League Rookies of the Year in 2017. Kelsey, who you got? Uh, I'm going back to Lucas Giolito. We brought him up earlier, and I think that it won't be long until he joins the White Sox. I know he has to adjust to a new organization, a new league, a new level again. But, I mean, in the minors, he's never had an ERA above 315 outside the complex. And I just think that once he gets comfortable, he will just show – his talent up there. And I think that James Shields will be a huge help. You know, they're both righties from Southern California. They've gone through big trades. They've been big names in those big trades. And so I think that Shields will just kind of take him under his wing. And then Lucas Chilia will fly away with the AL Rookie of the Year. In the NL, I was thinking Ahmed Rosario. I know, obviously, Asdrubal Cabrera and Reyes are up there. Uh, but I think that he will be up in the majors soon. Uh, they announced today that he's going to be playing third base every other week or so, and so I think that versatility will help a lot. He uh, is starting in Las Vegas this season and hasn't shown any signs of slowing down um, with his, you know, he had 3.24 ERA last year. He has speed. He has the arm. I think that Rosario will just take it away. All right, I guess I, I'm going to be the boring one. Um, I, I did this for Toolshed last week, just kind of looking at you know, what goes into a rookie of the year based on the last 10 years of rookie of the year winners. Um, so basically the criteria comes down to you should be a high rated prospect. That makes sense. You know, if you're a high rated prospect, you're talented. If you're talented, you're probably going to win rookie of the year. That kind of goes hand in hand, but it also helps to that voters know your name a little bit going in, I think. And uh, you're also should try to play a full season um, or at least debut by the middle of May. Um, so, I mean, this is kind of almost too easy, um, and it probably is going to be wrong for that reason, but I've got Andrew Benintendi in the AL, Dansby Swanson in the NL. Um, both guys are expected to be contributors right away. Each of them already have major league experience. They both thrived, I would say, last year at that level um, after getting the jump up from double A. You know, they're only going to build on that from there. Uh, both are good defensively, so you know their wars, wins above replacement, should be pretty good all around. Um, you know, that's, I think, become a bigger, bigger thing for awards. So th those are my two picks. Again, kind of boring, you know, it, in that they're, it, it's a little predictable. They started the year number one and number four overall in MLB.com's prospect rankings. Um, you know, anything could happen for here, from here in terms of injuries and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it, if both of those guys have the years that we expect them to and the fact that they will be full seasons, I think that's a little bit too much – uh, to ask to, for anybody else to catch up, but uh, that's just the, the kind of way I'm looking at it here on you know the first week still. 2017 AL and NL Rookies of the Year, Josh. Well, Sam says he's the boring one, but actually I'm the boring one because he uh, I'm I'm mimicking his picks <laughs> there. I just 
don't – I mean, I think for those guys to not win, it would be something really strange would happen to, to one or, or, or both of them. Um, really surprising, either injury or, or performance-wise. Um, I, I mean, I kind of wish that that I could go with somebody else to be more interesting, and if I could, I would – you know, pick Renfro or Margot in San Diego, but I just don't know. I mean, even if they have monstrous years, I don't know if they're capable of getting the kind of notice uh, on a national level um, with the Padres that Swanson and Ben Benintendi will will command by just by nature of who they are now. I like it, actually. I think those are two really good picks. And the the interesting thing is going to be seeing how that outfield comes together. I mean, in the most difficult offensive park in baseball. But those two are so good. And last year, Hunter Renfro comes up and hits like a 1,000 when he got to the major leagues anyway. Um, I was going to go, obviously, with the same two. The the most logical picks uh, for the the highly rated prospects for uh, Andrew Benintendi and uh, Dansby Swanson. But and I wrote a backup pair that I think would be uh, outlandish in one and um, somebody that, okay, yeah, you could see that happening in the other. That one is Bradley Zimmer in the Cleveland Indians organization, top prospect in the system. Zimmer was so good in major league spring training when they sent him down uh, to the minor league side, Terry Francona basically said, I didn't even really know what to tell him, but uh, he, he had to go down because he's not going to start the season at the major league level. And what the, what the message was, was break down the door, make us call you up for Bradley Zimmer. There are very few touches that need to be rounded out for him to be a, a full-time major leaguer, and I think he really uh, could be a contributor in a big way to an Indians team that won the AL last year and added talent coming into this year. Um, in the National League, this is my insane one, um, but I feel like it would be a a story that theoretically could come together, and that is Antonio Senzatello, who's a right-handed pitcher in the Rockies organization, who broke camp with the major league rotation, and the way the Rockies had talked about him over the last few years is different than I've ever heard them talk about any other pitching prospect who's come up in that system. The stuff for Antonio Senzatello Seems like it was tailor-made to pitch at Coors Field. A bowling ball of a fastball that touches the upper 90s, good breaking stuff, a very mature attitude and competitiveness. But the reason why this would be outlandish is Sensatella's coming off a 2016 season, which he pitched in seven games, had some shoulder issues, and also had a heartbreaking personal story in that his mother was diagnosed with cancer. He left uh, the AA Hartford Yard Goats for a while went home to Venezuela. She passed away, but he came back and the way the team, the organization, the the staff at the major league level, Bud Black on down have talked about him coming into this year. There's something going on with Antonio Sensatella. He'll start for the Rockies uh, as the number four starter in that rotation. It would be outrageous. Uh, a Rockies pitcher has only won one major award in history. That was Jason Jennings who won rookie of the year when he was a rookie back in, I think 2001. Uh, so would it be crazy? But uh, you know, it's uh, I had to throw out something different. So we weren't all picking the same guys. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Tyler. I thought we were supposed to have fun with this. I just picked the obvious hey, ones that are probably going to win. I'm the one who Vanilla picked... ice cream is good, okay? <laughs> I'm the one who picked the Columbia Fireflies. You know, I'm going off the wall with everything. Uh, strike, 
uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, you guys. Um, the Bauman Home Run Award. Uh, last year, it seemed like if you were going to hit a whole bunch of dongs in the minors, you had to be in AAA, unless your name was Dylan Cousins or Reese Hoskins. Uh, but there are some really interesting power prospects throughout the minors these days. Joey Gallo, no longer a prospect. Chris Bryant, no longer a prospect. There aren't those guys who you just look at as power-hitting guys the same way you did maybe three, four years ago. But who do you guys have in that category? I'm going to go with a uh, Tigers prospect, Stewart, Christian Stewart. Uh, you know, he led the pitcher-friendly Florida State League with 24 home runs, and then he went on to Erie and kept hitting more. And so I think that if once he's with Erie and he goes on to AAA, I think there's nothing to stop him from hitting most in the minors. Um, Christian Stewart was definitely on my list. Uh, he was actually first on my list, but I, I was going to call an audible anyways and go to a guy who we keep talking about in terms of when he's going to get a breakthrough. And for all I know, he could be the next Mike Hessman and just be stuck at AAA for a very good long time, is Peter O'Brien, um, now with the Royals. Good call. Uh, did not crack Major League spring training with them. Uh, is going to be spending you know, at least the start of AAA, or at least the start of the 2000 season, 2017 season at AAA Omaha. Um, back when I did the AAA Park Factors, Omaha was one of the most homer-friendly parks in the PCL, which is already hitter friendly, um, you know, O'Brien, he's right there. You know, they, they traded for him for a reason. He's, he has DH potential, uh, could help out the Royals should Jorge Soler end up injured for a long time, all that kind of stuff. But if he is there for a full season at Omaha, I, I don't think, you know, 35 to 40 homers is necessarily out of the question, uh, given how he has produced at Reno in the past. Uh, he already knows the PCL. He's certainly well-equipped for that level. There's a decent chance he spends up too much time at Kansas City uh, to make this a, a discussion point. But while he is in Omaha and playing half his games in that park, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, walks away with, with this award. He probably won't want it because uh, that means he's been in the minors for too long. But, um, yeah, he's, he, he would be my preseason pick, I think. Okay. Josh, who you got? Top home run hitter in the minor leagues for 2017. Well, uh I'm probably going to outrage a lot of Mariners fans here, but I really hope that Tyler O'Neill plays a full season in the Pacific League. <laughs> because seeing him hit there uh, is just going to be a real joy. And, you know, yeah, I think, uh, you know, if he gets, let's say, even three quarters of the season, I think there's a good chance he, he um, gets the Bowman Award. That's true. Tyler O'Neill doesn't necessarily to have need to have an entire year to bash thirty five home. He does play his home games in Tacoma, which is one of the more pitcher friendly environments in the uh, in the PCL. But still, Tyler O'Neill. I mean, is like his arm coming from the Southern League? Yeah, and his arms are the size of the actual Space Needle itself. So I don't think Tacoma is going to hold him back. Um, one of the things we actually talked about before we started recording this segment is the tricky thing about this is you kind of have to find somebody who's at a lower level so they're not going to be really, quote-unquote, in danger of getting called up, taking away time, uh, chasing a minor league home run title. So somebody who last year was a, a power profile, similarly to what Kelsey discussed with uh, with Christian Stewart, is Bobby Bradley, who is in the Cleveland Indians organization with Lynchburg, 29 homers last year and 102 runs batted in. Big power guy, going to get a chance to flex out in double-A this season. Uh, Bobby Bradley is uh, – 
He's a fun guy for us to talk to. He's somebody who the Indians, I think, have figured out what his strengths are going to be, and they're working on harnessing those, and power obviously leads the way in that. Uh, so not obviously the friendliest of hitting circumstances early on in a cold-weather league, but I like Bobby Bradley's power potential this year. Yeah, if anybody heard me like just make a guttural noise in the middle of that, I did. because I also I also have Bobby Bradley on here. Great mind, Sam. Uh, so yeah, so that's good. Like three of the four people I put on my list are uh, we're, we're talking about in this segment. So All right. I can't really. I, I for some reason in my gut I was just like, oh, Tyler took my guy. It's like <laughs> I had my chance with him. So, so good, good on you, Tyler. You already had this, Sam. I know. Yeah, so it's all my fault. It's can't wait fault. for the second round. <laughs> All right, you guys, seventh and final strike of this very uh, baseball-specific seven-strike segment um, since we are not uh, doing so well with the pace of play slash podcast with a seven-strike format to the sport. But final one here today. The top prospect on opening day in 2017 is Andrew Benintendi. He's not going to be a prospect for long because the amount of at-bats, plate appearances that he needs to graduate from rookie status is uh, is very soon a coming. In 2018, who is that person going to be top prospect going into the 2018 season in the minors? Kelsey. All right. Uh, Yankee fans probably won't like this because they're probably hoping that he gets 130 at bats this season in the majors and gets away from the minors and it's done. But I'm thinking Glaber Torres. I don't think he will get enough at bats, so I think he will still be on our list and everything and still be in the minors just in spring training and then he'll probably get back. But I think 2018 – It'll be Glaber Torres. I mean, he just keeps getting better this year with Trenton. I'm sure he'll end up in Scranton and maybe in New York, at least by September probably. So I think that Glaber Torres will be number one next year. Um, actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Torres plays that role of Benintendi in terms of, like, he does so well that he ends up getting 110 at-bats or something. And, yeah. and yeah, yeah, does well enough in the majors. But uh, my pick is actually somebody who – it would be – another surprise if he makes the majors this year, but it's Victor Robles in the national system. Um, you know, everybody you talk to, everything you read about the guy, one of the toolsiest prospects, if not the toolsiest prospect in the game. The only thing missing from his game right now is power, um, but that's something they think he can add as he goes up higher the chain. Uh, had some struggle, struggles at Class A Advanced Potomac. Uh, was still a good hitter at that level, uh, despite being a teenager. Heading back there to start this year, if he puts everything together, if he tackles Potomac well, if he moves up to uh, Harrisburg, I almost said Hagerstown. If he moves up to Harrisburg, Double A Harrisburg, by the end of the year, does really well there. Those tools continue to shine through in center field with his glove, with his range, with his arm, which is really special as well. Um, you know, he could be turning into a really well-rounded prospect, and you know, the type that we all love to see at the major league level. Um, it, he just took some slight steps back at the end of last year, nothing that the Nationals have said, nothing that I've you know, read or seen myself um, says that that's going to carry forth in this way. If he keeps building, you know, I think we're talking about him in that top spot next year. Even if he doesn't make the majors and show that he can you know, perform at the higher levels, those tools will still be there. All right, Josh, who you got? Top prospect opening day 2018. I've got a guttural noise for Sam on Victor Robles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, uh, but I'll, I'll go instead with Eloy Jimenez, um, who, you know, he's out now with a, with a bone bruise. He won't be back in action for a couple weeks, but uh, that Cubs prospect, I, I think, is a really special player. 
um, handled, you know, the lower levels and the futures game last year with aplomb and is, will be in, in Myrtle Beach when he's healthy. And I, I think uh, is just going to have a, a great year and, and his, his skills will just continue to, to play and improve. All right. Well, I got a guttural noise for uh, for Gleyber Torres as well um, with uh, with Kelsey's pick, but uh, that's because it's a very good pick. Uh, I think if I wasn't going to go with him, Robles is a really good call. Ahmed Rosario could potentially factor in there as well, uh, but you know, somebody who can impact the major league team. The really weird thing about this season is you have to pick somebody who is theoretically not going to be contributing at the major league level much, and that's difficult from the top level of prospects in the top 100 of the top 12 prospects. Ranked by MLB Pipeline coming into this year, only two are below the AAA level. So everybody else is either starting the season at the AAA level or on a major league roster. And even when you go past that group, you know, Alex Reyes isn't going to pitch this season because of Tommy John surgery. He's a guy who's probably going to be in a AAA or major league rotation to start the season. Lewis Brinson is going to be a AAA to start the season. Francis Martez is going to be a AAA to start the season. So the top level of upper echelon talent is all really close to the major league. So that leaves the door open for somebody like Labor Torres, Ahmed Rosario, some of these younger guys, Victor Robles would be the youngest of that group. But um, yeah, there's definitely uh there's a lot that's on the way that's going to graduate. If all goes well, pretty quickly this season. And that's fun. Cause that's something that we've seen for the last couple of years. And it's been a whole heck of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, that that's just kind of the nature of the beast too, is if you can perform at the higher levels, prospect evaluators are going to like you more because you it's obvious that you can handle that then you can probably handle the majors um you know obviously that's not always the case but you would like to see somebody hit triple a if if the debate is between somebody who's done well at triple a versus somebody who's done it well at class a you're always going to go with the triple a guy so um yeah i mean this list is obviously going to be very different it's not exactly going to be you know everybody just bumping up and whoever graduates and it's like a you know a wheel that keeps spinning it, it's it's going to be very different from next year and i think the way we've kind of talked about this kind of reflects that is that you know it might be glaber torres but it could be victor robles victor robles could jump over torres or ahmed rosario could jump over you know torres as well so um you know that's to kind of sum it up that's why they play the games that's why we're all excited about the season uh and, and to see exactly how we're going to be surprised and how things shake out um because as much as we want to predict them um, we don't fully know until the games get going tomorrow. And we are pumped for the season. And uh, we're also pumped that we got a chance to hang out with Josh and Kelsey on the show today. Thanks, you guys. Hey, thanks for having uh, me. And... <laughs> Josh is talking for both of you now from the obstacle. Let's take that again. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for having me, too. Wait, one last question. Yeah. How, many, how many minor league no hitters do you guys think there will be this year? Oh, man. That's a good question. Um, I'm going to go three. Two. Okay. Three? three. I'm going to say two wait, for every wait, night wait, wait, that wait. I work. I'm not saying how many you're going to write. We're saying how many total. Um, no, I'm going to go three. I'm going to say that it's going to be a very light year. That's what I'm going to say. But I'm also going to say that in this question, I don't count like a seven-inning doubleheader no-hitter. I don't count a range-shortened no-hitter. I'm thinking a nine-inning no-hitter. I'm going to go three. Okay. Do you know how many – Nine inning no hitters there were. How many? How many May, were there last year? By May seventh, how many? Last year, there were four. What? By May seventh? Yes, and I'm not including the seven inning no hitter that happened on April twenty third. Okay, was I'm gonna go two no hitters happened. I'm gonna go twenty three is what I meant. Uh, now we're yeah, yeah. now now. <laughs> now I don't know. I have no idea how many that is. 
Um, I will go uh, 17. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Well, too you bad. You have to make a guttural noise. You can't just say that's what you were going to say. <laughs> guttural noise. <laughs> Josh, what are you going with? Uh, it seems like there will be probably two for every night that I work. <laughs> <laughs> all in the Cal League and the PCO. Three. It's only going to be three, you guys. You're going to be surprised. We're all about bold predictions here on the show before the show podcast. There will only be three no-hitters in the 2017 season. Kelsey Hennigan, Sam Dykstra, Josh Jackson, I'm Tyler Maughan. That is segment number one on this week's edition of the show before the show. And coming up, we're going to talk with a guy who could maybe make his own case to be a top prospect going into the 2018 season. He's certainly going to be doing that in his own organization if he's not in the major leagues by that point. Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs will join us to talk big league camp, to talk the starts to 2017 with AAA Iowa and a whole lot more. Ian Happ joins the show next. Our very first in-season interview of the 2017 campaign, I guess kind of, as, as of when we're doing the interview, it's not yet in-season, but Ian Happ, the number 26 prospect in all of baseball in the Chicago Cubs system, where he is number two and uh, is set to roll. We're recording on Wednesday, so it's a day before opening day, but Ian and the uh, AAA Iowa Cubs are already in Oklahoma City. Ian, what's uh, what's the mood like now about 24 hours out from getting this thing started? Uh, we're getting excited, you know. It's been it's been a few days since we played baseball. It felt like all spring, you know, it was, it was every day we were out there, and then uh, kind of take a step back, and you're just practicing, you're not playing games. So we're all we're all ready to go and excited to to get going. Yeah, let's let's talk about that spring uh, for you. Obviously, it was it was uh, a big one for you being in big league camp. But not only was it just you know being there in a big league camp, not just being there you know in a in a camp that's just coming off a World Series win, but you, know, you performed incredibly well, hit 383, five homers. Uh, I think you led all of spring training in RBIs with 21. Um, just describe to us, what, what was it like going through that? You know, Why were you able to be so successful uh, in that Cactus League run? Yeah, that was, that was a ton of fun. Um, just, just the environment uh, around that clubhouse is so positive. Uh, everybody is, is great there, and, and they're all you know, not afraid to lend advice and to help out the young guys and be very inclusive. So I was really fortunate for that. And, um, you know, as far as the success, I, I just enjoyed it. I went in trying to learn as much as I could, trying to um, pick up as much knowledge as I could. And I think I just went out and played. And it was great to have the success that I did. Yeah, what was your kind of approach to that, you know, coming into big league camp? Um, you know, that roster is so loaded, obviously, the, with the Cubs, particularly with position players. Not likely that you're going to crack the, the major league team. But, you know, when you know you're going to be in big league like camp like that, what was your approach coming in, you know, February or whenever you did report? Yeah, my my approach coming in was just to learn as much as I could. I just wanted to I just wanted to learn and and soak up all the knowledge because there's so many guys that are are so knowledgeable and have so much experience. So that that was big for me just to be able to pick everybody's brain and, and really enjoy being a part of it. Ian, for you guys, when you look at the the starts of this season, it's so different in the organization than, I mean, not just last year, not just 2015. You know, obviously, uh, we have heard the tale. It has been a little while since Chicago Cubs have entered a spring training as World Series champions. And for you, I mean, I know it's only your third year uh, in the system, only your second full year in the system. But what was the energy like in Mesa this year with everybody showing up? You know, the fact that now the target is on that organization for the first time since 1908 that's the team to dethrone. What was that experience like being a part of that uh, for the first time now that this is a, a designation that you guys get to carry as an organization into 2017? 
Yeah, you, you know what? I wasn't in big league camp last year, but um, just kind of being around it a little bit, the guys brought the same exact atmosphere. Um, you know, last year they were kind of the team to beat as well, and and it, it was kind of the same thing. It's a really laid back camp. You know, guys get their work in, they work hard, but but they have fun. They enjoy the game. They enjoy coming to work every day, and that was the most fun thing to see was just how how much these guys really really love playing baseball together. When you guys go for, you know, the start to big league camp and then you transition to the start of minor league camp and then you finally get into your groups, you figure out what your roster is going to be for the start of the regular season. How does the the dynamic of that change for you, especially just as a player individually, when you know that, you know, preparation is going to start not necessarily in February. I mean, guys are getting ready for a season starting, you know, November, December, even to a certain extent. But when you really start understanding that games are really coming up quick. How have the last few weeks been different from when you got started in camp? You know what? I was fortunate because I was able to kind of be at the big league club um, throughout camp and, um, you know, have that experience for, for a really long time, a couple of months. So, um, you know, for me, it was kind of, we got back from a couple of exhibition games in Houston and, and when those guys left to go to St. Louis, I, I transitioned over and, and just, you kind of decompressed for a second from, from the too much you just had of really um, playing every day, working really hard, and you kind of decompress and say, okay, time to switch gears. Now we're going to start a season. Now we're going to start to compete every day, um, kind of in that way where you're playing nine innings every day and you're not coming off the bench anymore. So, um, you know, for me it was just a couple of days of, of taking a step back and, and kind of refocusing and, and getting going again. And just to kind of go back to to your performance, you were saying you know you, you were entering spring trying to learn something, trying to soak up whatever you could. What's something that you know you learned this spring that you've already implemented into your game, or you're looking forward to implementing into your game? You know, once this regular season starts rolling. You know, I I really learned how to uh, go about a routine before the game. How to how every, all of these guys have a specific routine to get themselves ready. Um, you know, which I've had in the past, but you're kind of just nailing down exactly what I want to do. So, um, you know, I'm excited to have that play out through the year. And and I also learned a lot from some of these guys that play multiple positions. Um, just talking to them, uh, how they go about their early work, how they go about getting reps at both the infield and the outfield, and, and staying sharp on both. So I think that's going to help me a lot this year. Yeah, kind of in that vein. I mean, how much were you talking to a guy like Ben Zobrist, who you kind of fit that mold, a guy who's played second base, uh, you know, outfield, that whole thing. I mean, what kind of advice were they giving you in terms of being able to fluctuate between those positions and, and oh, yeah, staying I mean, sharp I, at them? Yeah, uh, Ben and I definitely talked a lot. Uh, it was great to be able to pick his brain, just as far as keeping your arm healthy, um, both me and Phil in the outfield. And and just getting the way he goes about getting reps, you know, he's very intense when he's getting reps at second base. He'll do a group at second, a group in the outfield, and, and he just does a really good job of keeping himself sharp about um, you know making all the routine plays. Just making sure that when when you go out to the outfield, when you go to a, a position that's a little foreign, um, that you're doing everything right, making all the routine plays, getting the ball in, hitting cutoff man, and that you're doing the little things right. And, uh, you know, as Tyler mentioned before, you know, you, you guys, you get sent back to minor league camp, you get assigned to Iowa. Um, you know, it, it was pretty early, at least earlier than a lot of other rosters get announced that, you know, the, the um, you know, front office had announced that you were going to be going to Iowa. You spent 65 games last year at Tennessee. 
um, you know, half season there. Sometimes guys repeat the level early on. How much do you feel like you kind of push the envelope with, with your performance this spring to make that jump up to AAA? Yeah, you know, I think coming into camp, I don't think the plan was for me to go AAA. Uh, I think coming into camp, it was I had only played half a season and didn't have as much success as I wanted to have in AA. So I think um, you know, just coming into camp ready, having a good camp, and, and kind of showing that um, you know, I belonged on the AAA roster uh, helped push kind of the, the front office a little bit. And you know, I feel like I'm excited to be a part of this team. I'm excited to, to, to kind of mess with this lineup we have in AAA. It's going to be pretty good, and I think we'll have a great time. Ian, for you uh, personally, this is your third professional season, second full season, and you are a guy who has dealt with midseason promotions in both of your campaigns so far. Started with Eugene, went to South Bend in 2015, then you were with Myrtle Beach to start last year. You end up with Tennessee at the end of the season. I mean, you do that this year, it means you're going to the big leagues, which is uh, obviously the ultimate goal. At this stage, do you let yourself think about it at all? I mean, it's opening day, so obviously you've got the task at hand with Iowa, but we know everybody that we talk to says, it's out of my control. I'm not going to think about it, whatever. But I mean, it's a lifelong dream. It's what you've been striving your entire existence for. Does the when you're, you know, on the the flight to get to Oklahoma City or whatever it is, have you thought about just how close you are now? You know what? I, I really enjoyed my time up there this spring, and and you know, it's something that the, these guys go about their business every day, um, and you know, they're not thinking about anything but the task at hand every single day. That's why they're so good. That's why the team is so successful. Uh, I think that's something that I'm going to have to do this year is just focus on the task at hand every day. You know, I'm fortunate to be a part of this ball club in Iowa, and I'm excited for it. I'm just going to go about my business every day, play hard, uh, compete, and, and hopefully you know, the next level happens. Ian, what does it do for you as a, a guy who's climbing quickly in the system to see the way other guys have climbed so quickly in the system? Because, you know, it's not just Chris Bryant or Kyle Schwarber. Albert Armora made a pretty solid rise. Uh, but that organization has shown it's not afraid to test people climbing pretty quickly through the minor leagues. What does that do for you just confidence-wise knowing that, hey, if I get started pretty well in AAA, this could really happen for me pretty quick? Yeah, it's great to see. It's great to see all these young guys, this young core that they have. You know, you have, you have Addison, Kyle. Uh, you know, KB, Contreras, all these guys, Hobby, all these guys are so young, and they're, and they're such good players. Um, so it's, it's definitely exciting for the organization um, that all these guys are going to become for a little while. And, and for me, it's it's great to see. It's great to pick those guys' brains about that, about, you know, coming up and being a young guy and, and handling it because it's not, you know, it's not easy to be uh, 22, 23 and, and in the big league. So, um so that was that was awesome to get to talk to them, but uh, I, I'm excited for all those guys, and they're so much fun to watch them play. And uh, we touched a little bit on it before, but when we were talking about you know you talking to Zobris, but in terms of defensively, um, you know you're going to be tried out at a couple of different positions, second base, outfield. Um, you know what do you think about your game? Kind of translates well in the outfield, um, going from second base there. And you know what do you think you need to do to kind of show the team that you are major league ready, at least defensively, that you're able to do both positions at the highest level? Yeah, I think defensively at second base, I feel really comfortable. Um, I feel really good there. And transitioning to the outfield, you just got to be an athlete. You got to be able to run around. And the biggest thing when you go from the infield to the outfield is, is to do the little things right. Like Luke Zobers told me in spring training, you got to hit the cutoff, man. Um, you know, you got you to keep guys, limit guys to one base. And, and as long as you can do that, as long as you can go out there and do little things, and, and you can play. So um, that's the biggest thing, and I think to be major league ready, that's all you have to show. You have to show that 
defensively um, that you can do the little things right and, and play the game the right way. You know, you mentioned last year at Tennessee, uh, year didn't quite end the way you wanted. Uh, you know, you hit 262 with a 733 OPS in that second half. Um, you know, what did you te- kind of take away from that, and and what do you think you, you kind of worked on this off season to to make sure that a second half like that doesn't happen again? You know, this year in that second full season. Yeah, I think that um, you know in Tennessee I started off pretty well, and then as the league kind of adjusted to me a little bit, and I got away from my approach, got away from my plan. And um, I tinkered with my swing a little bit, and that was something that the fall league was really good for me because I was able to go there and continue to work and and kind of uh, work on some of the things that, that I needed to work on. So I felt great about that. I felt great about my off-season work, and I think that so I learned a lot in Tennessee. And, and learning how to struggle and how to get through that is, is definitely something that I will take away from my first full season. All right, Ian, we're going to get you out of here on this one. Um, You were out of high school, undrafted. Uh, You go to college, turn yourself into one of the best collegiate hitters at Cincinnati, and then all of a sudden you're the ninth overall pick in 2015, and now here you are two full seasons later and three seasons later starting the year at AAA. Take me back to when you were coming out of high school. If you could go back now and talk to 17-, 18-year-old Ian Happ and give him a piece of advice – for what it's going to take to be successful, not only in the in the collegiate game, but especially in the professional game, knowing what you know now, having gone from being undrafted to being a first-round pick in just a few years, what what do you think you'd say to yourself back then? Uh, you know, you, you got to work hard. I, I'm so fortunate for the three years I spent in college. Um, I know that if I would have would have got drafted and gone straight to professional baseball, it, it would have been a challenge. It would have been. Um, would have been tough for me so I'm really fortunate for the three years I had in college the development I had and um, you know, I wouldn't give away my two summers on the Cape for anything so um, for me it was just work hard and, and continue to get better at baseball every day. He is Ian Happ the number two prospect in the Chicago Cubs organization you can follow Ian on Twitter by the way at IHAP underscore one and Ian is set to roll with the AAA Iowa Cubs will kick things off against the Oklahoma City Dodgers coming up Thursday night Ian enjoy the start to the season man best of luck uh, we'll be following it throughout and uh, and get things rolling in a hurry take care thank you Twenty-six prospect in all of baseball, Ian Happ. Again, you can find him on Twitter at IHAP underscore one. And with that, we'll transition to the top prospect in all of uh, the business of baseball, and that's one Benjamin Hill. Hi, Ben. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm not the top prospect. I'm the established superstar. Well, that's true. I guess that's, that's a <laughs> Ben fair graduated from prospect point. status in what? What was your first year here? Well, I'd say I finally uh, made it the big time in 2009 after uh, working in go. my version of the minors uh, <laughs> for four seasons prior to that. There you go. But my version of the minors has always been some version of – the minors, even now that I'm in the majors of the minors. <laughs> the majors of the minors. That's what we should have called this segment. From now on, Benjamin Hill, the major in the minors. Uh, well, Ben, it's finally here. Uh, opening day today for those listening on Thursday as the podcast drops. Opening weekend, which is always, you know, the teams want to blow it out. Teams want to get a season started on a right note. Um, so what's what's going on this weekend? It's uh, We're finally into the, the – we're not talking about promo – schedules we're talking about an actual promo preview for the first time this year yeah i'm working on that right now as we speak here on uh, this beautiful wednesday afternoon it'll be up on the site tomorrow uh along with uh, i'm sure links to this podcast um yeah it's the season now and i'm of course writing a promo preview promo review promo watch whatever you want to call it but keeping track of uh, promos all around minor league baseball of course and uh, i mean tyler you're right you mentioned teams uh 
wanting to make a good impression on opening day, blowing things out, you know, making it a gala event. But to be quite honest, um, it's a boring week as promotions go because opening day is exciting if you're a fan to go to the ballpark and see live baseball. But, you know, not too much to write about in terms of, you know, pregame introductions and uh, a better than average national anthem singer and uh, whatnot. Um, so it's not the most exciting thing uh, in terms of opening day proper. But, you know, along with the season comes the promos and I'll, I'll be covering them, you know, from the jump. And um, my column will include a lot of different things. I actually uh, got off the phone about an hour ago with a, a guy named Chris True, T-R-E-W. And um, he's going to be li- the New Orleans baby cakes, you know, who are no longer the Zephyrs. They're now the baby cakes. Uh, they're opening up the season at home with a five game set against the Memphis Redbirds. And, uh, this guy, Chris true, a lo- local comedian slash wrestling promoter, uh, slash, you know, Renaissance man is going to be living at the ballpark for all five games of the homestand, sleeping there, uh, doing a variety of odd jobs. And, uh, so I talked to him about his experiences and that'll be something to, to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, living in the stadium, battling the raccoons and the nutrias, uh, and pretty much doing every sort of ballpark job that's possible. He'll probably do more in five days than I do all season. And, uh, that's cause I've lost my competitive fire, but no, I spread it out. I'll be going a lot of places. We've talked about my trips, but he's, uh, he's going to be living in the ballpark and that's an interesting way to start a season. And that's for the baby cakes. Um, a whole new era. They're no longer the Zephyrs. They are now the baby cakes. So, uh, so where is he staying exactly in the stadium? Like where does, where does he live? He told me, he, five days? I asked him that and he told me he plans to vary, vary his sleeping quarters. Um, he said at least one night in a suite. Um, hopefully he'll pinch a t- pitch a tent in the outfield and, uh, sleep on the field one night. He said, uh, he plans to spend a night in the broadcast booth and, um, Maybe he'll do that on the last night because actually April 10th, uh, the last game of this homestand, the Zephyrs, or excuse me, the Baby Cakes, are uh, having a tribute to their um, broadcaster, Tim Grubbs. So maybe he can uh, sleep in the booth that night You know, when, when, the, uh, when there's still a glow, an aura there after Tim Grubbs has been honored uh, that game for his service to uh, the Pacific Coast League and specifically New Orleans baseball. And as an aside, and I'm sure, Tyler, you can get behind this, I think when teams do have veteran broadcasters, they should be honored as the uh, local treasures they are. Yeah, I think that's really cool, and it's uh, especially at the AAA level, there are guys who um, have been with teams for a, a very long time. But I will say, Tim Grubbs doesn't look old enough at all to be a guy who's being honored for being with the team for that long. No, I think he's actually like in his high 70s or low 80s. I think he's like 84 years old. He just looks still a to be in his 30s. thousand years old. He's been, since the inception of baseball, he's been with, uh, with the team in New Orleans. Yeah, it's really only something like 15 <laughs> years or something. But but in, in minor league baseball, that is in eternity. But he's still a comparatively young man, as as I am, as we all are. But you know, when you stick around with one team for a while, you, you you're a veteran. And what um, you know, we we've talked before about feuds going on, um, you know, at the AAA level between Lehigh Valley and Fresno. But there's one that's kind of hyper local that's really going to be the focus on opening day. Um, I think it's between. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Rochester and Syracuse, kind of walk us through that. What what's going to be kind of detailed there? Uh, well, teams like to fight all the time, as 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 we all know, and especially on Twitter. Sometimes is, physically. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you got the on-field brawls. Much more often than that, you have. Uh, you know, these uh, Twitter wars, these by proxy uh, fights between teams via their social media accounts. And uh, a, a staple in uh, International League Baseball with, you know, teams in the, in the Northeast and the Midwest and very 
cold weather climates for baseball in April is a lot of teams have opening day guarantees. Um, the Rochester Red Wings have done this for years. I believe their guarantee is, is it 60 degrees? Or 55 degrees? I think it's 55. 55 degrees, and their opening day is not till next week. But the Rochester Red Wings open their season against the Syracuse Chiefs, who are like, all right, we're going to have a 53-degree guarantee because our guarantee is going to be better than yours. So fans, if the ticket, if the temperature at the start of the Chiefs game is 53 degrees or below 53 degrees, then fans get free tickets. Um, Indianapolis Indians, I believe, have a 60-degree guarantee. But uh, Syracuse is really one up theirs because they have done it in response to their rival, Rochester Red Wings. And then uh, their GM, Jason Smorrell, dressed up like Donald Trump and uh, released a video attacking the Red Wings and guaranteeing a victory and positioning the Red Wings general manager as Vladimir Putin. Putin, uh, I think his name was Danimir Mutin or Danimir Mutin instead of <laughs> Dan, like Dan Mason. So you got teams going after each other uh, left and right, right off, the, right off the bat, including dueling opening day temperature guarantees. And rivalry, rivalries don't get much more esoteric or arcane than, uh, than uh, guaranteeing the, the, the temperature at, at the time a game starts. But anything to generate a little interest and you know fans very likely get free tickets uh, as a result of these guarantees and the, and the teams want to give tickets away for other games in April and May because it's tough these short season teams come in at mid-June and get all the great summer dates but if you're an international league team eastern league team playing these cold weather games you want to do anything to generate some attention because once opening day wears off then you've got some kind of lean times. <laughs> it's just cold and it's really tough to draw fans. And then, you know, school lets out, the weather gets warmer, and that's every that's where everyone makes their money. My favorite thing about this feud, and I'm putting that in air quotes that you can't see because this is not a visual medium, um, is that I think they guaranteed, each team guaranteed that their team is going to win, which as general managers, normally like in Major League Baseball, you'd be like, okay, you crafted the roster. Maybe you're overconfident in what you've done done with that roster but like they don't control any of that so they're just like banking that you know this one game out of 140 is going to work out in their favor and work out in a promo later on um busting the other side so th that's not a normal thing right like teams guaranteeing that you're going to come see a winning team uh, well, on I, any day, never mind opening day. I think in the minors you see it a lot, uh, guaranteed victory nights. Uh, there's certain teams that have done like uh, guaranteed victory like weekly promos, like every Tuesday or, or what have you. Uh, if the team doesn't win, you get a free ticket to an upcoming game. Uh, there's a lot of guarantees thrown around in minor yeah, league baseball. True. And it's kind of funny. I think it, it seems like there's a correlation between the less power an executive or the front office has over the product in the field, the more likely they are to uh, have a lot of confidence in that team in their team winning. It's a kind of strange dynamic, whereas in the majors where you have the front office execs actually crafting these rosters, they're usually not going to be like, oh, we're guaranteeing a victory or all fans get get in free. No, they're not going to do that. In the minors, it's just like, hey, we have nothing to do with the product in the field, so let's uh, go hog wild and in, in, in acting like we have a real stake in guaranteeing a victory. It's just for fun. It gets people talking. And isn't that what this is all about? Yes, isn't that got, why we're talking now? Talking. We're talking now. And, and, you know, hey, I'm looking at your computer right here. And um, you've got a tweet pulled up right here. Speaking of rivalries, the Lexington Legends and West Virginia Power have announced a rivalry between those two South Atlantic League clubs where every time those two teams play each other this season, the West Virginia Power will suit up as the Hatfields and the Lexington Legends will suit up as the McCoys. And they both have, uh, I mean, what would you call it? There's plaid in those specialty jerseys. 
um, the overalls. West West Virginia Power has some suspenders, kind suspenders, of kind yeah. of implying some overalls. Um, so they're going to be the Hat, literally the Hatfield versus McCoy in uh, West Virginia. That's Charleston, West Virginia versus uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, along those lines, last week we heard of the Round Rock Dance Halls. Instead of the Express, they will suit up as the Dance Halls and take on their rival Nashville Sounds, who will play as the Honky Tonks. So now we have this battle for country music supremacy and uh, not just the style of music, but the venue in which those styles are fostered. So it's getting more and more ridiculous with the food, with these regional uh, rivalries, with uh, politically themed videos, dissing their opponents, dressing them up as Russian strongmen. What, what, <laughs> what, what will teams not do at this point? Well, and what's interesting, too, is this West Virginia and Lexington feud now is a joint promotion, which is not something that we very often see, that two teams come up with a, a concept that will affect games in both ballparks. Uh, it's kind of a unique thing. Have you Can you recall anything where, where teams have set stuff up in tandem like that for a matchup? I mean, it's not like they're coming together for a charitable thing or something like that. Like It's just kind of a, a fun minor league baseball thing that's spread out over a, a rivalry on two different sides. Well, you know, like so many things in minor league baseball, it's a trend. And we see that trend starting right now. We have uh, Lehigh Valley, uh, the bacon versus the Fresno tacos. Now, not just, um, you know, Twitter beef, but now those teams are, um, you know, are actually making it a real thing by having a, a, a vote. And the fan ha- and the, the losing team in this vote has to wear the other team's gear. They're not even in the same league. Uh, we have the Hatfields and McCoys. We have the dance halls versus the honky tonks. And I think we're probably going to see more of this as uh, teams find a way to capitalize on their rivalries, which is great because minor league baseball, it's not like a Cubs Cardinals or a, uh, you know, well, I'm a Phillies fan, so Mets Phillies, where there's this ingrained uh, sense of rivals. You know, in, in minor league baseball, usually the fans aren't too passionate about who the other team's playing. So if you uh, hype up the regional rivalry, uh, that's a great thing. It, it, it increases interest, and it, it's a way for uh, there also to be a great visual and uh, some. I'm sure, sure some merchandise that can that can be sold as well. I'm sure some West Virginia Power fans out there are going to want to get some Hatfield jerseys and whatnot. I mean, I'm personally eyeing the Legends McCoy thing. Um, I think that look, it's a really neat look in terms of these uh, these I don't know specialty jerseys that I feel like can be sometimes a little garish. At least this is something that won't look that bad on the field product. Um, but it's still out there. So well, Sam, I hope that uh, you can get a, a jersey that was actually worn by a player, because that way it would be the the, the real, real McCoy. McCoy. Maybe yeah. that's a really great joke. <laughs> ben saw that, that. Sam saw that coming. I think as as you he were did. talking. How could he he, not? Yeah. How could he not that's, see it coming? It's pretty good. It's pretty like good. Stand in the middle of an open road at night and seeing the headlights <laughs> from about four miles away before it hits you. I mean, if there's anybody listening, but in Lexington or West Virginia, if they like send one to me and one to Tyler. Like we could make this into a yeah, we can make this into a, a weekly thing on the podcast too. Again, not a visual medium. You'll just have to take us at our word that we're wearing them. Yeah, but I'm well, down. We, we can post on our Twitter accounts or something. Yeah, that's we'll true. Figure. That's true. Tyler, what are you wearing now? Uh, you know, I work from home, man. I I, I never change out of sweatpants. <laughs> Come on, man. You can do better. I think the listeners want to be envisioning a professional. We really don't. Um, no, I got a, I got a three piece. I got a three piece suit on. Uh, Wingtips. I wear a fedora with a card that says "Press" out of the side. Uh, I just always like and to play the role. Yeah, and sweatpants under it, under the suit. It's a full mm. suit. The press hat, like I'm a 1930s beat writer. Um, yeah, and then the sweatpants under the suit. We'll go with All that. Right. Sounds good. 
Sounds good. We'll go with that. Uh, ben, one last thing. There is a story up on the site we talked about a little bit last week, a recap of offseason news. One of the new clubs in the minor leagues this year, the Down East Wood Ducks. I have to bring this one up because the picture that they tweeted was adorable, but the Down East Wood Ducks are letting people take selfies with a duck, an actual duck, and that is awesome. Really no question to it. I just thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the minor leagues have obviously been obsessed with animals for a long time. Uh, you know, the uh, bat dogs ha- have been a staple for teams across uh, across the land. And so the Down East Wood Ducks arrive on the scene. They'll be playing in Kinston. And on April 10th, they're advertising, quote, selfies with snuggles. So if you show snuggles. up to the game on April 10th, you can uh, – and Sam is 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 uh, audibly awing <laughs> as he looks at this picture of Snuggles the duck. So um, pretty cute duck. That's that's great. It's a very cute duck, and you can get your uh, selfies with Snuggles. Uh, that same day, uh, also in the Carolina League, it's the first uh, Meow Monday for the Lynchburg Hillcats, who are inviting fans not just uh, bark in the park and dogs. They're also inviting cats to the game which I think is a better idea in theory than it is in practice, but that's a partnership with, I believe, the local Humane Society, and it's all a great cause. But uh, Meow Mondays, every Monday in Lynchburg, you know, bring your cat to the game because I'm sure your cat's just hanging around like, you know what, I'm sick of hanging around this house. I wish you could go to a Class A advanced baseball game instead and be terrified the whole time. With, with cat-themed jerseys and hats and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But- the Hillcats, isn't everything yeah. already cat-themed? Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, so if you're the Hillcats, you let cats into the stadium. Yeah, I mean, come so on, true. we we you just you, it's so simple. I feel like it could be just a, a matter of time before somebody goes to the hospital from cat fight sustained injuries. But uh, you know, we'll see. It's a it's an adventure. It's always an adventure. Minor league baseball, and you take your life in your hands when you go to a, a ballpark that's full of cats. Uh, Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is Ben'sBiz.mlblogs.com. The promo previews are on the way. All of it is on the way for the 2017 season. And uh, Ben, at this stage, you, how are you feeling? You excited? You got a road trip coming up? I mean, is it you getting into it now? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. At the end of this season, I will have been to every single minor league ballpark except the two in Colorado. Shocker. And I actually just spent a long weekend in Colorado and uh, didn't go to any baseball games because I didn't start yet. But uh, I thought that was kind of funny. It's it's the, the one state I'm avoiding professionally, which I'm visiting personally. And it's all, you're right, it all starts now. So I'm back in the office today after a brief little absence. And uh, it hasn't been as busy as I thought, just a lot of catch up. And there's just that sense of like, oh, boy. Here we go <laughs> every single day. And I think everyone who works in baseball is feeling that right now, um, you know, in some way or another. But I'm excited for it. Go to the blog, Ben's Viz blog, as Tyler just mentioned, and uh, apply to be one of my designated eaters. You can check out my road trip schedule and apply to be a designated eater. Uh, as I've said to Tyler and Sam, uh, some of the uh, designated eater applications I've gotten so far have explicitly mentioned how much uh, that they enjoy the podcast and that they are getting in touch with me because of this very podcast. So, Podcast listeners who are getting in touch with me, I appreciate it. Send me an email. I'll even shout you out next time. Is that that fair? Is that legal? That's a a good deal. Yeah, you guys are really excited. Uh, A a listener named Ryan emailed me and said he listens with his son, and that that warms. That was one of the most touching emails I've ever received. so cool. Yeah, so there's more of you out there who are listening to this podcast secretly. Send me an email. (laughs) Don't make it so secret. Send me an email. Don't make it secret. We'll shout you out. We appreciate you all. I appreciate you very much, even the, probably even more than anyone else does. I'm just so full of gratitude. Hey, we appreciate you, Ben. Yeah, I appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Putting the-
the finishing touches on episode number 104 of the show before the show podcast, the very first of the 2017 season. Uh, before we go, we are joined once more by Kelsey Hannigan and Josh Jackson. We also have to give due credit to a good joke that I missed. Kelsey, explain. Uh, Tyler said the player teams, or it was going to be a light year. There weren't going to be that many. No, no it's only going to be so three no hitters, you guys. Yeah, he said it's going to be a light year. So I said, okay, Buzz. And I did not hear it. And <laughs> I we're sure you caught that love at home. Toy but Story. just really wanted to drive it home. Yeah, I love nothing Toy like Story. a bad joke, guys. I own the like children. a bad joke explained. <laughs> 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 nothing makes a bad joke uh, a better. Man told me it makes it funnier. <laughs> I own the Toy Story trilogy on Blu-ray. I'm very bummed to have missed that joke the first time through. Um, well, hey, this is the first time that we get to do this this season. Uh, what's everybody watching on Milb TV this week? Oh. Which, by the way, you can go find your subscriptions and sign up now at MILB.TV. You can watch the best and brightest in minor league baseball. We've got everybody covered at the double AA and triple A level. Select Class A games as well. Um, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm going to be watching the Charlotte Knights because I want to see what that rotation looks like. And pretty much anytime you tune in, to a Charlotte Knights game, you're going to have like a top five pitching prospect on the mound. And another thing that we didn't note uh, when we were discussing the Knights as the most interesting rotation, Michael Kopech is only a step down the ladder in that organization, by the way. So at some yeah. point, Michael Kopech could be throwing 140 mile an hour fastballs as part of that group as well. Uh, Tyler, obviously I'm going to be watching Tim Tebow. Columbia. Okay. The most interesting team in the minors. Very excited to see him. You know, obviously he was in spring training, but it's going to be really cool to see him in minor league duds. And it's going to be like, actually, every, it's going to be on something clear. I feel like most, sometimes it was on TV for spring training, but like a lot of it, especially the Max Scherzer at bats, we were watching in kind of like grainy footage from, you know, back into the left in the stands. Um, so yeah, it'll be kind of cool to, to be able to actually watch him in kind of clear um, MILB.TV video. Uh, for me, I'm just going to go back to what I was talking about with that rotation in Mississippi. Um, they're actually going to be going up against the uh, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, which should be interesting to watch just to see how much people kind of trip over that name. Shrimpin' ain't uh, easy. Shrimpin' ain't I easy. I love that shirt. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> ladies and shrimps, too. I yeah, love that ladies that's the one and shrimps, too, shirt. Josh wants that one. But they don't make it in men's. <laughs> you can uh, dream, Josh. Well, anyway, so I, I just seeing that M Braves rotation, how are they going to take to to double A bats? Um, you know, we we're not big on the Marlins system. You know, you can go back to our farm system rankings and kind of see that. But uh, a double A bat is double A bat. So what what is going to happen with Colby Allard and Mike Soroka and uh, you know uh, Max Freed when they have to go up against that for the first time? That that's going to be fascinating. So if you're a Braves fan, um, any of those starts are going to be must see TV. I don't think the rotation is quite set yet in terms of who who is pitching when, so be sure to check out the site to kind of figure all that kind of stuff out and iron that out. Josh, you got something eyeballed for this week on Milb TV? I do. This, uh, you know, this weekend um, we've got the iCubs at Oklahoma City. Somebody somebody had mentioned the Oklahoma City lineup and that best lineup, and, and that was on my list too. And, you know, Haps, Haps iCubs have Candelario and Chesney Young and, and Caratini, and uh, there's a rich, Cub, rich uh, AAA Cubs team there. So you can catch all that and more at MILB.TV throughout the 2017 season, and that'll do it for the season preview edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Our biggest thanks to Kelsey Hennigan and Josh Jackson for stopping by and uh, and then for coming back for our wrap so we could explain the joke because we had to get it in because it was good.
I mean, that's that's the only reason why we so did we that. I think. So we had to do. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I was going to say that you could thank everybody for Josh that time. Josh had a, a thank you for Kelsey <laughs> in segment one. But, you know, we'll, uh, everybody is very thankful to everybody else. And most of all, we are thankful to you for tuning in uh, to this week's edition of the podcast. And, uh, yeah, next week we'll get actual baseball results to talk about, which will be a whole ton of fun. And, uh, Sam, talk to you then, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you then, Tyler. Enjoy Happy the first baseball. week of baseball. Happy baseball, everybody. See you next week. Yeah.